Good morning, everybody. My name is Bates. What an awesome time to be together again this morning. I just want to pray for us quickly before we start. Thank you, God, that you love us and that you're with us and that you've given us your word in the Bible. Help us to hear it well and to listen and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're continuing in our Psalms series this morning. And uh, if you're new to the Psalms or you wanting to kind of get a bit of context for this series, I encourage you to go back to the very first uh, episode or um, segment of this series and you'll find the intro to the series, which will really help getting into Psalms. And I don't know about you, but the Psalms have been an incredible encouragement to me in this time. And I'm just so grateful for them. Um, and the series has just been so, so timely. And so we enter into day 52, I think it is today, of lockdown and what crazy times we live in. And I've been hearing from a few people and some guys are kind of just really getting over it and they just want to carry on with normal life and so on. And some are kind of settling into a routine and getting into it and carrying on. And I guess there's kind of two different responses we could we can have in this time. And one is kind of of despair and the others of kind of determination. So despair, I'm over it, I'm kind of feeling a bit hopeless and I just want to connect with people and get out again. The other ones of determination, kind of just gritting it through and making it happen and carrying on as long as we need to, you know. And I've found myself kind of slipping into either side of those uh, ways of thinking and going about things uh, from time to time, I must say. And I find them both to be rather unhealth- unhealthy. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a better way. There's a different way to approach and to be in this time. And it's a third way. It's an ancient way. It's not a new thing I'm going to be telling you this morning. But we know we need reminding, right? Our memories are often not great. And it's, it's the third way of dependence. And so as we look at Psalm 34 this morning, and you can turn there now in whatever translation of Bible you have, or if you don't have, it should be on the screen also. But uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 34, and it's going to show us that third way of dependence and how to live that way in this time. And so if you turn to Psalm 34 in your Bible, whichever translation you have, you'll see at the top there's a little kind of segment introducing the psalm, and it says something along these lines. A Psalm of David, so he's the author, David. Quite a significant figure in the Old Testament was David, and he wrote about half of the Psalms uh, that we find in our modern day Bibles. And it says this, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And so I don't know about you, but I remember sitting in some high school English classes with my English teacher trying to expound a poem and tell us about what was in a poem. And some of the stuff they would say, I'd say, think to myself and sometimes even, I guess, express it. Where on earth did you suck that from? How can you make this stuff up from this poem? And and I realized in hindsight that would often be the case because we either wouldn't know the author of the poem or there wasn't a lot of context into which that poem was written. And so you're kind of just thumb sucking these creative meanings, you know. And uh, fortunately for us this morning with this psalm, we do know a lot about the author, David, and we know a lot about the situation in which he found himself. And it's recorded for us in one of the other books of the Bible, uh, 1 Samuel and chapter 21 and chapter 22. And so that is some of the context for our psalm this morning, where David finds himself is between a rock and a hard place, literally in a cave in a dalem. But the reason he's got there is because he's being pursued by King Saul, who was the king of Israel at that time. He didn't like David. He wanted David dead. David runs away to the neighboring nation, the Philistines, but they were the enemies of the Israelites. And so they also wanted David dead. And so David finds himself before one of the Philistine kings 
and David makes a clever little plots a plan, uh, hatches a plan, and he pretends to be insane. And the Philistine king is like, I don't want this guy around me, he's crazy, and he sends him away. So David runs away, and he hides in the cave at Adullam. We know this is the actual cave, it's about 21 kilometers west of modern day Bethlehem in Israel, and that's where he hid. And there's some big caves in the hillsides there that can house around about 300 men. And in this particular section, we know that David's joined by a whole lot of distressed men, men who were in debt, men who were desperate. And they've gathered around David in this time in the cave. And so that sets the scene for the psalm this morning, Psalm 34. And so let's have a look at it. And I've asked my friend Keegan to read it for us this morning. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord and let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. What a beautiful psalm. The psalm is just littered with incredible stories of God's work in David's life and God's work in the world. It's, it's incredibly, as it just points to who God is and what he does. It's just so heart-swelling and eye-lifting and mind-renewing, this psalm. It's worthy of singing and rejoicing as David did, but also considering and contemplating and thinking a bit deeper about and in order to facilitate that, what David cleverly did with this psalm is he wrote it in an acrostic format. So the first line, um, the first letter of each line of the psalm starts with a, the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so he did that so they could remember it, um, those people he was singing to, because it was such a significant psalm and such significant time for these guys. And so what is an acrostic? If you don't remember from your high school English days or primary school English days, it's, uh, for example, if I were to write a poem and each line would start with a different letter of the English alphabet, so the first line started with the A and the next one with the B with the C and so on, that would be an acrostic format. And there's different types of acrostics, but that's basically what this psalm is about. And so what I've decided to do is create my own little acrostic to help remember the sermon this morning about this song. And I'm using the first three letters of the English alphabet, A, B, and C. And here they are. The first one is that all will face trouble. That's A. The second one is blessed are those who take refuge in God. That's B. And the third one is cry out to God. And that's C. So A, B, and C to help us remember the points from the psalm more clearly this morning. 
And so let's start with the first one. All will face troubles. Do I need to go any further? Do I need to say that again? We can all agree with that. And the longer you've lived, I'm sure, the more you're nodding. Troubles are a fact of life. And so I'm taking this from verse 1 to 6. And we've got a bunch of guys standing in a cave around David. They're desperate. They're debt laden. They're on despair. These guys are not in a good state. David himself finds himself not in a good state. And they're looking to David for help. They run away from their towns or wherever they were. They're trying to escape their previous situations. And they're coming to David to look for help and for rescue, essentially. And what's the first thing that David does? He acknowledges their fears. He acknowledges the situation, their troubles, their shame, all these things that they're in. But he doesn't dwell there. He lifts their eyes to God. And he says this from verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then he doesn't just do that. He invites those guys in the cave to join him in glorifying God. He says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so it's incredible how God, how David just lifts these guys' eyes to God. They find themselves between a rock and a hard place, literally in a cave, but also in their life circumstances. And they lift their eyes to God. And then David goes on to testify or tell the stories in a way, in, the, in this poetic way of what God has done for him. And he says this from verse 4 to verse 6. I sought the Lord. I looked for the Lord. And he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man talking of himself being poor and materially called out to the Lord and he heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. And so this is David's personal testimonies, his personal stories that he's sharing to encourage them to lift their eyes to God. He's the one who delivers those who are filled with fears. He covers those who are filled with shame and he doesn't put shame on them and he saves those who are in trouble. And so God knows our situation. He knows our frailty and he knows the troubles we face. And Jesus, to his very first disciples, said a very similar thing. He recognized the situations and the situation his disciples were in. And he said this in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Listen to this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's crazy how when troubles come, they have this crazy way and this little knack of really identifying and scratching the surface of our hearts as to what do we really trust in? What do we really cling to? When the pawpaw hits the fan, where do we turn? When we lose our job? When one of our loved ones passes away? When someone is unfaithful to us or deceives us or cheats on us or um, is horrible to us, where do we turn? When a child is very sick, where do we turn? And so when troubles come, they really reveal our hearts. And they make us ask those questions of what do we really trust in? Who do we really cling to? Who's really going to help us and deliver us and save us when life is not going so well? And so that's A. All will face trouble in this life. And so why don't you right now, in your groups or at home, wherever you are, can you just think about a moment or some stuff you're experiencing now that is troublesome, that's bothering you, that's difficult? 
What troubles are you facing right now? And so we've seen the first point of our acrostic that all will face troubles. And the second point is the B, the blessed are those who take refuge in God. And we're looking at verse 7 to 10 here. Now, most of the psalm makes a similar point, and I'm just taking these few verses to illustrate it. And uh, just a quick note before we continue. Don't let the language distract you, the picture language, the kind of descriptive language, but rather dial into it and let it help bring to life this, this psalm that we read. And so in these verses, we hear about being blessed and the blessed life. And the question I ask you is, do you want to be blessed? Now, who doesn't want to be blessed? Be happy, be content, be prospered, be favored, be full of joy. Do you want that? And, and I guess the answer is yes. And the beautiful thing is David tells us how to find that. He says, seek God, fear him, take refuge in him, experience him. And that's how we live in the blessing of God. And that's not just in troubled times when it's not going so well, but in all seasons of life, that is how we seek and find God and find blessing in him. And so the, let's have a look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And so God is close to those who fear him. He encamps around them. He protects them. He surrounds them. What does it mean to fear God? Is it a kind of like enslaving fear? No, not that kind of fear. It's a, a reverence, an awe, a seeing God for who he really is and positioning him correctly in our hearts and minds. It's a, free, it's a fear that leads to freedom and release and deliverance. That's the kind of fear we're speaking around here, speaking about here. And then in verse 8, a beautiful verse, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who finds refuge or takes refuge in him. And so we can experience God. We can tangibly experience and know him and be in his presence. Just like we can taste honey and know that it's sweet, like we can be around and experience a fire and see it and feel its warmth and no one can argue or convince us otherwise that they are sweet and that they are warm and full of light. In the same way, we can experience God and no one can convince us otherwise that he is real, that he is present, that he is good, that he's alive. We can experience him in that way and David's calling us to that and he's saying when we live in that space, we are blessed. When we hide in God, when he's our hiding place, our refuge, we are blessed, we are happy, we are content, we are full of joy, and it's incredible. And then verse 9 and 10 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so God provides for those who trust in him, who seek him. He provides to the point where they lack no good thing. He gives what they need, uh, not, not necessarily what they want, but he gives what they need. And uh, when, we, when he gives that, that need, we are so satisfied deeply. When we're filled with God, we're deeply satisfied that we realize what we really, really want and what is truly good. And so whatever God gives us, we see as a gift and as a good thing. We lack no good thing when we seek him, when we fear him, when we take refuge in him. And so is this life easy? No. Is being Christ follower easy? No. Is it deeply satisfying and fulfilling? Yes. Is it what we were made for? Yes. Is life with God blessed? Yes. 
And so blessed are those who take refuge in God. And so that's the first two lines of our acrostic. A, all will face troubles. B, blessed are those who take refuge in God. And so I want to take you to just take a few moments now on your own or whoever you're with and just think about for a moment and maybe share with one another some troubles you may have been facing in this time when you've reached out to God or cried out to Him or looked to Him. Has He come through and what has that meant for you and what has that done for you? Can anyone remember the third point of our acrostic? It starts with a C. And let me give you a hint to the first word. It's what happens when you bash your finger in the door. That's right, you, you cry out. And so that's our third point, cry out to God. And we're taking it from verse 17 to verse 20. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. And so then what does it look like to, to cry out to God? Well, what does crying look like? It's, it's heartfelt. It's painful. It's a deep human expression. It's full of meaning. It's often bitter and it's short and it's like a, a huge expulsion of energy and built up, pent up emotion. Crying is a, is a deep thing. It's not just a, a little pithy thing. It's a deep thing. And so that's what this is calling for here. When we really need help, we, we cry out for help to God. We're not just giving a kind of a, you know, please God and a little this. It's a crying out to God. And so then who are the righteous that David is speaking of here that are encouraged to cry out to God? Uh, well, it's not those who are self-reliant and self-righteous and kind of trying to get good works and good behavior and being a good neighbor and a nice person and paying all your taxes. Not those kind of people, although those are good things. It's not those kind of people that are called to cry out to God and he hears. It's those who know they need help from God. It's those who know they need God to make them right with himself. It's those who know they can't make themselves right before God. Those are the ones who God comes and as they reach out to him and ask for forgiveness, he declares those people righteous, those who reach out to God for help, who know they can't do it themselves. That's the righteous people that David is referring to here. And so the question is, what is needed to be heard by God, to be delivered, to be saved, to be redeemed by God? Well, it's not, as we've seen, kind of good morality and perfect behavior and perfect relationships and all these things and being out of troubles and debts. It's, as we see in this scripture, it's those who are um, afflicted, who are brokenhearted, who are in trouble. Those are the ones who who one finds often humble themselves. And when we're in those situations, I'm sure we find ourselves humbling ourselves and asking for help and crying out for help. It's a funny thing and it's a strange thing when, we, when we're kind of doing all right and, and the kind of pride maybe builds up or self-reliance. We kind of don't cry out or look for help. We just kind of do our own thing and become self-reliant. But when we like these men in that cave, desperate, despised, in help, in full of debt, we know we need help and we cry out. And we reach out for help. And that's what David's saying here in verse 17. Those ones that God declares righteous, the ones that know that they need help and they can't make themselves right with God, those are the ones who cry out to God and God hears them and he answers and he delivers and he saves. It's incredible. And so we are all unrighteous. We are born into this world unrighteous, not right with God. 
and none of us can make ourselves right with God. Somebody else had to come and make a way for us to be right with God, and that was Jesus dying on the cross for us. We have to receive his gift of forgiveness and of, of salvation, is the big Christian word, to be made right with God and to be able to have a relationship with him and be declared right in his sight. There's this funny little verse, that verse there, verse 20, that we ended with. And this verse takes us forward from when the psalm was written by David 1,100 years to a man hanging on a cross just outside of Jerusalem. It takes us forward to the most significant moment in human history, Jesus on a cross. John, one of the guys who recounted the life of Jesus and he's written the Gospel of John, it's in the New Testament in the Bible, he tells us and he quotes this little verse from Psalm 34 when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the Roman soldiers came up to him, the ones who had executed him and hung him on that cross. And in that time, when they wanted to make sure that someone was hanging on the cross would die quickly, they would come and break their legs so they couldn't hold themselves up and breathe. And then they would die of asphyxiation very quickly. And when they came to Jesus hanging on the cross, they found that he was already dead. And so they didn't break a bone in his body. Instead, they pierced his side and made sure he bled out to make sure he was dead. And this is what it says in John uh, chapter 19 and verse 36. For these things were done so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And so why did this all happen? Why did Jesus die on that cross? Why were none of his bones broken? He died there so that we could be declared righteous, so that we could be made right with God, forgiven by him of all our sin and guilt and shame and iniquity and be made right with God, so that we could cry out to him and God would hear us as his righteous children, so that we could experience and live in the blessed life that God has for us, full of contentment and joy and deep satisfaction now and forever, forever. And so the question I want to ask you this morning as you listen and watch on TV, have you received this gift of forgiveness from God? And if you would like to this morning, I'm going to make a moment just at the end of the sermon where I'm going to ask you to pray with me and you can receive this gift of forgiveness from God. And so that's the final point of our acrostic Cry out to God. Can anyone remember the three points? A, B, C is what they start with. First one is that all will face trouble. B, blessed are those who find or seek or take refuge in God. And then C, cry out to God. And so that acrostic helps point us to this third way of living and being in this troubled time that I was referencing at the beginning of the sermon. It's not despair. It's not kind of determination, but it's dependence dependent living, dependent on God, crying out to him for help, receiving his blessing, taking refuge in him in this time and being dependent on him. Exactly a year ago today, my wife and I faced a pinnacle of troubles and trials in our lives. I remember very clearly Jen getting home from a pregnancy scan and just sobbing in the car in the garage when we got the terrible news that we had lost our second little child in Jen's womb. Jen and I were devastated to say the least. We were shattered, we were distressed. It was so, so tough. We didn't know where to turn or what to do next. And incredibly, 
the next day, 18th of May, 2019, Jen and I went and took some time alone and we just cried out to God. We reached out to him. We were on our knees just saying, God, what are you doing? What is going on here? Lord, what is happening? We don't know where to turn. And God just graciously responded. He comforted us. He was present with us. We experienced his enfolding, his encamping around us, his just love and blessing in that time. And he spoke to us and we heard him more clearly perhaps than we've ever heard him on that day on the 18th of May. And he spoke to us about a little girl that he had planned for us, a little girl called Zahra, that he had planned for us to adopt. And it was just the most incredible news. He blessed us so incredibly in that time when we faced such trouble and we cried out to God. He just came through in the most incredible way. And incredibly, what he also said in that, um, on that day on the 18th is that we may still have our own uh, biological children. Um, and that twins might even be in, in the mix. And incredibly, miraculously, Jen fell pregnant at the beginning of this year against all odds. And um, she's going to be due in October. And we're expecting Zara to potentially come somewhere around that time as well. And so it's just an incredible story. God is close to the brokenhearted. He draws near to those who cry out to him, who seek him, who fear him. And we can testify of that. We can say we have experienced that. All will face troubles in this life. Blessed are those who take refuge in God. Cry out to God. And so I want us to close this morning in response. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me. And I'm wanting to ask two different groups of people to respond this morning. If you're part of that group who I was speaking about earlier and I said I'm going to make an opportunity to you for you to pray and to receive God's forgiveness and to be made right with him, then I want you to pray along with me this morning. And your breath where you are. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me on the cross. Thank you that you forgive all my sin as I reach out to you now. I turn away from my sin. I repent of them. And I look to you and I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that right now you make me right with you. You declare me righteous and in right standing with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Then there's a second group of people if you would consider yourself a Christ follower. And um, you feel like you've kind of just in this time slipped into a bit of despair or into kind of determination and self-reliance. And I want you to just pray along with me as we cry out to God in dependence on him. Lord Jesus, we just confess and we say that we've clung and tried to do this thing on our own sometimes. We've slipped into despair or into kind of just self-determination. And Lord, right now we just surrender to you and lay down all our worries and our fears and our shame and our guilt before you now. And thank you that you come and save us, deliver us, set us free right now. God, help us to live dependent on you, reliant on you at all times. No matter how tough it is, God, you can and you do deliver us and comfort us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope it was an encouragement to you and it'll be wonderful to see you again next Sunday. Cheers.